the first feature film by the Oscar-winning director of the podcast, Yano. Okay, so I'm going to explain what just happened. Okay, go ahead. This movie has no quotes page? No. And that is the tagline on the DVD. Yes, on the release later in her career DVD. The Milestone Collection DVD. Is that how you watch this? Uh, I, yes, I bought the DVD. Okay. You bought the DVD? Mm-hmm. It's on the Criterion. I know that. Now. Oh, it is. It is. Could have checked in with us, Ben. I, I would have told you. I'm sorry. Yeah, along, no, it's okay. I like doing it myself. I it's, like it's doing it It's on the Criterion wrong. channel along with her three short films made prior to this. Have you seen those, David? No, and shit, I've meant to watch them. Hmm. Well, maybe you can call me Mr. Homework this week because yeah. I did and I win. You do. You're the winner. I win. Uh, I'd like to talk about the short films a little bit. Oh, no, uh, we should definitely talk about the short Leading films. into this, but you should watch them. Uh, they're also, I think, on the Sweetie release. Okay. Well, Just we'll telling you. Sometime. Okay, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about the Oscar-winning director of the podcast, Yano. This is what I'm talking about. Front-loaded, okay? Yeah. Because it's a new miniseries. Wait, is that, is that a train I hear in the distance? Hold on one second. I think it's getting closer. Kenneth Branagh is slowly taking off his cap, looking off to the horizon. Right? James Darcy is like, what is it, sir? And he goes, a new podcast, miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Home. That's what he says. Kenny B. Jane Campion. Oh! One of your favorite directors, David. I feel like someone you've been really wanting to cover for a very long time. I guess so. We have our personal picks always that we're always sort of pushing for. Sure. She was, she's a fave of mine. She she's was on my bracket last year. Yeah. You've mentioned, um, David, that you had a very influential class while, whilst in university, right? Where you took a, was it just specifically New Zealand film? That's correct. Okay. Because yeah. you also had an we'll Australian film class, did you not? No. No? Just New Zealand. Why did I think you had like an exploitation class? I don't know. I, I do like those movies. Okay, I'm no, very no, no, wrong. No, no. I'm very wrong. Uh, no, I took, I did, well, you know what? Set up the show and then we can talk about the class I took in college. It's embarrassing <laughs> to get something that wrong, David, because you and I are, of course, <gasps> the two friends. Yeah. That is our name. It is our competitive advantage on this here podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. Thank you. I'm David. And it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a Jane Campion series. Yes. That we are calling, I will repeat for clarity, the podcastiano. The podcastiano. That's how I have it. That's how I have it in my head. It looks funny. It, there's so it looks like funny. you kind of do a little wrist. A little Italian. How Get a little wrist it? in there. There might the be podcastiano. a hey. evolution of how we say it out loud. Sure. Who knows? Right. But this was the first time, David, where you, in fact, said we have to go with the sweatiest option. I, I threw out a bunch of options and you said it's got to be the podcastiano. I liked how it sounded. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun and cool. And I even was like, we could do the podcast, no. And you were like, no, it has to be I-A-N-O. Yeah, it has to have Yano in it. Podcast Yano. It sounds like a computer voice malfunction. Podcast Yano. Um, Look, I don't know. Yeah, we could have done like Holy Podcast or the Podcast, podcast of a Lady. Table. You know, right. whatever. We could have phoned it in. I, I not pitched, for Janie. I pitched a pod trit of a casty. Yeah, I hated that. 
Yeah, you really hated that. You got angry and you threatened me with physical violence. I did. I said, yeah. if you fucking say, say those, those words, words to, to me again. again. It was intense. Yeah. Look, among the many reasons we wanted to cover her was the fact that what is, you know, considered by most to be her first feature film is in fact titled Two Friends. The Two Friends! Well, it's no, actually no, called not Two the, Friends. Right. The definite article is still ours. Yeah, that belongs to us. Right. Um, um, but the, yes, Two Friends. This was a TV movie. So there yes. was some uh, deliberation, I feel, about whether or not this was going to counter be a Patreon thing or whatever, but it played at the Cannes Film Festival. It's a proper movie. And also, Angel at My Table also was created as a TV movie, and we're obviously going to count that. Yeah, that was, or was that created as like a mini series or something? Because it's long. No, I guess it was a movie. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know how these New Zealand TV movies work. But that's, this is where we're starting. Crazy. Two friends. Two friends. Yeah. Jane Campion's first movie. Take us back. Take, Take us, us back. back to the start? Yeah. To where it all started. Okay, it all started in Wellington, New Zealand. All right. Which is, uh, I want to say that, um, you know what? I'm going to look it up. It's the capital. Yeah. Of New Zealand. It's the biggest city, I think. And that and was Auckland like, might be the also city. the main hub of all the Jackson productions, right? Am I wrong in thinking making that, me check this now? that Weta's in Wellington and that? Almost certainly. It's the capital. It's right. the big city. Yeah. Um, Just saying it becomes a surprising uh, hub of, of film production. Okay. Auckland is the largest right. city okay. in New Zealand. Okay. Wellington is the capital okay. of New Zealand. They are both, of course, on the North Island, which I think okay. is the more populated of the two big islands. And Weta is based in Wellington. Thank you. Um, but yes, New Zealand, of course, is this wonderful country that has a lot of really dramatic landscapes. It's actually really cool to make movies there because you've got a lot of options available to you, blah, blah, blah. But I'm skipping ahead. I did study New Zealand cinema in college, mostly so I could hang out with a girl I had a crush on who was named Mark the Time. There you go. Bleep that out. <laughs> you always forget. You love bleeping out the name you of the person. You gotta bleep her name you out. Always, she has a new name now. She got married. She, uh, okay. she, she, she shed that name. But still. I just feel like every time you have an opportunity to invoke her, you do usually. It's to only the, when I talk about New Zealand no, cinema. I know, I know, but I feel like you usually do, do it for the enjoyment of our guest. And we have no guest this week. And yet still, once again, you want to do the bit of saying her name and then bleeping it out. Uh, I also want to shout out my uh, professor, uh, Bruce. Fuck, I need to look his name up. What was his name? Bruce Willis. Hey, uh, this is my class on uh, New Zealand films or something, whatever. I get paid $1 million a class. <laughs> did you see that clip? I don't stand up. Did you see the clip of, of the action movie? Yeah, yeah, I did. Where he like, turns from day to night in yeah. the middle of him walking? Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It is incredible. But that's like a clear indication of like he, um, like yeah. you only get him for a day, right? And they yep. were like, shit, we need to finish this shot and he's not here. Right. It turns to night on the other guy's coverage, and then as the action starts, it's clearly a stunt double for Bruce. Like, they got, like, three shots of Bruce. I want to shout out Bruce Babington. That was his name. Okay. My professor of film at Newcastle University. And ben I was an English major, out. but... You have to bleep that um, yeah. But he did teach a film, a course in New Zealand cinema, which included the works of Jane Campion, as well as, like, Jeff Murphy, 
you know, Roger Donaldson, Lee Tamahori, you know, a lot of sure. the, a lot of the names you'd think of Peter Jackson, obviously, but was that- it is a surprisingly robust film industry for what is a, a small country in terms of population. Was that your activation point as a Campion fan? Because I feel like both you and I as Oscar nerds, I'm sure had the name Jane Campion rattling around our heads for years before we were really engaging with her work. Cause it's like, Oh fuck. She's like one of the one only of women nominated only for an Oscar female director yeah. nominees. And at the time she was like the only one who was still presently working. Right. She was the only female filmmaker who could release movies that said from, well, yeah, nominated saw, director Jane. I saw in the cut, I believe in theaters. Okay, yes. So I did like, not. I, I saw that, and that may have been. I just don't remember when I saw the piano. Mm-hmm. I think I may have seen the piano before then on video or mm-hmm. whatever. So I'd seen those two movies. I don't think I'd seen any other Campion before I took this class. I still to this day have only seen three of her films. I'm excited to watch a lot of these for the first time. It's going to be great. Yeah, I've seen everything that she's made, but holy smoke, I do not remember it all. Okay. Um, but she's a, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of hers, but let's talk about Jane Campion, who of course, yeah, part of the reason we're covering her is she's got her first movie out in many years. Hopefully it's sweeping Oscar season or at least generating some buzz. Look, I think we felt like this, on was Netflix. A, this is a win-win situation. Either she's winning Oscars and, and such right now. And this feels like a victory lap mm. or she's getting snubbed and people are going to be outraged about it and, and demand more, uh, acclaim. Um, but either way, she's going to, she, people are talking about her again. She was born in 1954 in Wellington, New Jersey, I mean, New Jersey, New Zealand, David. huh? Not New Jersey. David. I've been watching too much Sopranos. Also, we should, we should say that we spent an hour before this episode doing some hardcore spreadsheeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm a little zonked from that probably. Um, it's the most April strenuous 30th, physical activity so, David ever engages with. Yeah. Uh, April 30th. Isn't she a You're looking Aries? No, she's a Taurus like me. She's a okay. Taurus like me. So, so we're very similar. Okay. Uh, her dad... David recently made a joke, by the way, that uh, the cause of stress in his life is that both me and his daughter are water signs. And Hosling. And three Hosling. water signs. That the three, three of us that he got, he got fucking shackled to these three fucking difficult emotional water signs. Yeah. And it's the two of us and a baby. He's putting yeah. us in a pot together. Yeah. 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 baby is a Pisces. Um... She was born in Wellington, New Zealand, 1954. You, what are you? You're a cancer? Cancer. Yeah, I got my eye on you. All right. Well, you know, I have the exact same uh, sun rising and moon sign as Wes Anderson. David. Or a Scorpio Scorpio. That's pretty quirky of you. Pretty quirky. That's pretty fucking I put, put quirky. My, put my deets into some database. Out comes Wes Anderson. Yeah. All right. But it's a, it's a manual database. Yeah, of course. Click, it's click, very click. ornate. All right. Her dad uh, was an Dewey opera. And she's, she, she has her root in the arts. She's, her, the arts, sure. arts are in her blood. Family, her dad a theater family. Was a theater and opera director. Her, family. Her mother was an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, her mother also, I think, was the heir to some sort of like shoe company fortune or something. So they had like, they had sunk all that money into a New Zealand like theater company, one of the first professional theater companies in New Zealand. Okay. So cool. they were like, very arty family. Yeah. And Campion has talked about how she kind of resisted that pull. Interesting. Like, she didn't, like, she initially got, like, a BA in anthropology. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she didn't go into the arts right away. Uh, and I think 
she just wanted to avoid copying her parents. Incredibly stupid Griffin on brand side tangent. David, have you ever seen the movie Mirror Mask? Uh, no, I've never Neil seen Gaiman, the Neil Henson Gaiman production. No. Um, What's his name? Dave McKeon. Right. right. That movie is uh, not great, but no, it, sure. it, it has a, big, a very obvious but effective uh, sort of opening for this kind of dynamic, which is she is a girl whose parents work in the circus and she traveled around with the circus her whole life. And the whole movie is about the fact that she wants to run away from the circus and go to a normal school. Right. She she's wants the to kid rebel who's like, I've grown being, up around right. these artsy people and I want to live a very normal structured life. And then the end of the movie, she comes around to it. Anyway, I don't know. Jane Campion, uh, of course, seems like a very serious minded person. She's kind of like a Ned Flanders kind of type. You know I, I, mean? I don't get a lot of Ned Flanders vibes from Jane Campion. No, they, it, it bends on something here. She doesn't look a lot like Ned Flanders. She, she has glasses. Looks, <laughs> she has glasses. But also, Ned Flanders' parents were famously beaten. Oh, right. They're, they're, they're hippies. And that's he, he doesn't he, want to be you know, rejected. We've tried nothing no, and we're all I, out of ideas. I, my I, favorite I think, Flanders' parents joke. I think this kid's a flat tire, man. <laughs> He's taking us on the road to Squaresville. I'm not saying this is Cubesville, maybe. <laughs> I think it's Cubesville. unique. But for such a great artist, she does strike me as very like serious-minded and pragmatic and grounded. Uh, sure. I've got a quote here from our researchers, uh, Nick and JJ, mm -hmm. uh, where she's talking about anthropology, which in in for some reason in New Zealand is called uh, structural arts. That's cool, or something. Let me look it up. Let me find it. Yeah, structural arts. That is cool. pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, my, de my, my degree didn't really lead me anywhere, but we had a fantastic professor, a Dutchman by the name of Power. Okay. I feel like in the 80s or 70s that she's going to school in New Zealand in the 70s, it's like, if someone's in New Zealand from another country, yeah, like that's probably sort of an interesting, right? Where they're like, you know what? I'm moving to the ends of the fucking earth. Right. I'm, you know, like, it's not like the easiest thing in the world to get to New Zealand now. No. But in the 70s. Yeah. You know, anyway. No, it, well, I, it, it became like the fucking cliche of like post Lord of the Rings and Bush reelection. So many people were like, I'm just going to fucking move to New Zealand. away from America as I can. Right. Like it was New thrown Zealand's out. Like, we don't want you, mate. Get right. out of here. It was thrown out by everyone. Like, really why bad, don't I sorry. just pack it up and move to New Zealand? I, I have met a couple people who did that. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, it's a beautiful country. Yeah. It supports it. You know, it's, it's got a very good safety net. They, they fucking handled COVID better than pretty much anywhere else up well, until a point well, in time. Well, it's, you know, it's, you know, they're a tiny country. It's far away from everything. Yeah. They had a lot of advantages on that front. But yes. And they're also doing a lot and more recently and like kind of coming to terms with how they treated the aborigines. Yes. Yes. Which I think is the, also the Maori people. Yes. Yeah. It, it just We're going to talk about that with the piano. Like a more yeah. progressive. Sure. Uh, sort of, but a, this is the thing we fetishize these countries. Uh, no, that's that, I'm Same talking like, about the post Lord right, of the these Rings Scandinavian countries too. Where they're like, well, I'll just live right. there, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's it's like five million people. It's like the of population course. of Brooklyn over there, like yeah. kind of spread out in a gorgeous panorama of mountains and lakes and deserts and whatever. Anyway. David, the point I'm making is that is very much the modern perception of New Zealand. And I think you're onto something. That if someone's an expat day, living in New Zealand in the 70s, you're like. What brought them what here? What are you running from? What's your life? Professor yeah. Power. Right. Anyway, what interested me about anthropology, this is Jane Campion, okay. was to be able to officially study what I was curious about anyway. How thoughts function. Yeah. Their mythic content, which has nothing to do with logic. Human behaviors. I believe that I have an anthropological eye, a sense of observation. 
I loved both the theory and the poetry. What a smart-ass woman this is. This is is what I'm talking about, though. Like, she does not read as someone who grew up in an artistic family. Like, like when you read about fucking Julia DeCarnow, right? And you're like, oh, both her parents were doctors. That makes perfect fucking sense. She makes movies like the daughter of two doctors, right? And Jane Campion, I would sooner believe, like, she was the child of two therapists. Sure, sure, sure. Right. But no. But it's interesting that she was sort of rebelling against a more artistic family and then bringing a more kind of perhaps uh, academic mind to art. She graduates from Victoria University. She travels Europe. She attends an art school in Venice. She calls this uh, the best and darkest time in her early life. Mm. I think it was a lot of ups and downs. You know, she's in her 20s. So romantic to go study painting of Venice. I know. Definitely. Then in 76, she moves to London, attends the Chelsea School of Arts. This was a, a tough, lonely time for her, she says. You know... London in the 70s, God love London, but that's a rough time to be in London. That's like garbage piling up in the streets, you know, winter discontent. It's so funny, The fucking three-day work week, what? I always used to think that old London was so glamorous and Old fun. London. And I saw this movie called Last Night in Soho. Oh, boy. It there realized. was an underbelly to Let that one. This place ain't so nice, oh, in it? stabbing, stabbing. Stabbing in stabbing. the street with which my fate in it. <laughs> you thought it was all, you know, pool halls and glamour balls and Scylla Black crooning. I thought everything was nice, in it? Yes. So I wasn't even that interested in movies, she says at this point. Like, okay. She didn't grow up with a big passion for movies. Mm-hmm. Her, her love for movies is not yet developed, really. But she does say her mom would take her to, like, Boonwell movies. You know, so it's not like she didn't have any... You know, her mom, they're fancy pants artist parents. They're taking her to see cool shit. Um, 77, she comes back closer to home. She goes to Sydney in Australia, gets a BA in painting. She likes art school. She's she really getting about a lot of art. school. Dude. Hey man! Wow, like Jane loves academic. Shit. Right. Yeah, four eyes. Yeah, that's well, what I, I say am to her. Glasses. Well, you are too. Yeah, I am true. true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at Sydney College of Art, she's doing painting. She likes that, but um, she, that's when she starts to get interested in you know visual arts, writing little plays. Okay, doing little performance pieces. Okay, recording it on videotapes. Uh, she didn't like the quality of videotapes, so she decides to make her first short film, Tissues. Did you watch this movie? No, Tissues I couldn't find. That one might not be totally available. That is about I think she makes four films and three of them are readily in circulation. That is about a father arrested for child molestation. Yeah, definitely didn't see that one. She made it on a Super 8 okay. camera. Uh, and she's kind of just like making it up as she goes along. She's like okay. learning on the job. She okay. doesn't really know what she's doing. Um, but making that inspires her. She applies for like a grant from like the Australian government or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, she meets Gerald Lee, who she writes Sweetie with. Okay. So that's when she kind of, you know, forms that early uh, collaboration. Mm-hmm. She makes an experimental video called Mishap, Seduction, and Conquest. Did you watch this thing? This no. doesn't seem to count. I don't know. That's like a weird art project. The three I watched were uh, uh, Peel, yeah. okay. aka an Exercise in Discipline. Okay. So that's a girl's the own one. story in passionless moments. In 82, she makes a short film called Peel, yep. colon, an exercise in discipline, which wins her the short film Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival. Yes. Pretty cool. Yeah. So that's what it's, uh, it's about her friend and her, fi- her friend's family, and there's conflict. What's it's going on here. Odd 
film. I mean, first of all, it's very short. It's like seven minutes with credits. Sure. I think so. It's a real short. Uh, and there's this interesting opening credit sequence where she like establishes like, it says like, you know, an exercise in conflict and mm. then peel in giant letters. Cool. And then it credits the three actors. Love that. You recognize the two of them share the same last name. And then the next title card is like a triangle establishing the family members and their relationships to each other. Right. Where it's like Jack, dad, Alice, sister, whatever. I'm, I'm getting sure, this okay. right? Like okay. nephew, son, whatever it is. And then it says like a real conflict based on a real family or something like that. What right, are you laughing It was inspired at? by her friend's right. uh, relationship with her family. Her friend's name, sorry, is Katie Pye. Right. It's the Pies. P-Y-E. The thing is essentially about this kid's in the backseat and they're driving to go to like a party and the kid is eating an orange. They have all these oranges on the dashboard and he like peels it and he throws the peel out the window. Mm-hmm. And then the guy is like pulls over the side of the road and is like, you have to go pick that peel up. You don't litter. And so he tells the kid to get out of the car and pick the peel up. And then the kid like doesn't come back. And they're fighting about the fact that they're going to be late. And he goes out and the kid is like, clearly like now very burdened by the idea that he's done something horribly wrong and is like meticulously looking for every single piece of the peel to pick up. And uh, he's sort of trying to like console the kid and then he brings it back to the car and the woman has now in the time that she's waiting and being frustrated, peeled her own orange and thrown it out of the car and refuses to pick it up. That's like the whole thing. Would you give it the palm? The short palm? I would not. I would admit I... You I was into it. I was mildly perplexed by this thing. The other two shorts, I think, are great. Okay. Well, you know who uh, also agrees with you? The Australia Film, you know, whatever the guy, the Australian uh-huh. Film Commission, or you know, they were like, "Eh, this thing stinks." I don't ju- bother finishing I didn't think it. it stinked. I was just like, "This is odd." Well, I, I don't totally. They, I'm not. They thought it clicked into. Okay. Well, that's them. Um. You know, and so anyway, but so she then makes, uh, she collaborates with Gerald Reed on a movie called Passionless Moments. Yeah, so that it is sort of what it sounds like, where it's almost like this is like a series of like three panel comic strips of like awkward moments that people have. Mm-hmm. Odd things that don't seem to mean anything, like two neighbors on either side of a fence and the one guy stretching his arm because he injured it and the other guy thinks that he's waving. So then he has to commit to waving back, even though that wasn't what he was intending to do. And it's like black and white. As far as I remember, there's like no dialogue really. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like a Ricky J. Magnolia-esque narration explaining like, then there's the story of blank blank who is stretching his arm, which is misinterpreted. Right, right, right. It's, just, it's just a funny sort of observational. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's like these moments that are sort of meaningless, right. but are given some sort of meaning in terms of like they're these universal sort of odd things. Um, yes, it won an experimental film award from the Australian Film Institute. She co-directed that. She right? co-directed it with Gerald Lee, who right. she was living with at the time. Okay. I think they had a romantic relationship. Yeah. I don't want to tell any tales out of school. Her final student film is called A Girl's Own Story. Now, this thing I think is a fucking knockout. And I don't know if this, this is... This is about girls in the teenage girls in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe my semi-controversial opinion. I liked this more than Two Friends. I think Two Friends is, is if I'm ranking all her movies, is her, her worst movie. Sure. I, I mean, think, it's, 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 it's got a lot of DNA, campion DNA. But I think right, Two Friends is like, okay. It's okay. And Story of a Girl is like 25 minutes, 27 minutes, something like that. 
end packs like a lot more punch. And watching, I watched these four things in chronological order. Yeah. And there's such a build to them where I'm like, fuck, right. you see her getting like better and getting more ambitious and getting larger that I was like, I'm ready for fucking two friends. And it didn't feel like a step back, but there's just like, uh, sort of a girl's a, a, a really kind of tight, powerful, impactful object. Right. Um, but it's almost like, uh, it reminded me a little bit of like, uh, Celine Siama movies. Mm-hmm. It is a, a trifecta of girls coming to terms with their own sexuality, teenage girls in New Zealand trying to parse uh, interpersonal romantic sexual relationships, both within themselves and their parents and their understanding of these things, each other. And it sort of has uh, sort of like a series of weird ellipses. A lot of the big scenes don't happen. Mm. A crux of it is one girl getting pregnant, but you don't actually see the sex scene. Everything you sort of find out in an odd order um but it's just really really fucking good it's like incredibly well made and impactful and you're really getting a sense of her as a visual stylist in this thing it's very off-putting uh and alienating in an interesting way uh a thing i read about it is that she wanted to cast nicole kidman who was a teenager at the time i was about to drop that i'm sorry then you can say it nicole kidman turned down a role in the film over fears of kissing another girl on screen and being sexy wearing a shower huge she, they're, they're part of a swim team. She did not want to wear the fucking... The cap? The cap. It was like rubber caps? Yeah. They were pretty annoying. She also had uh, pretty bug nuts hair at the time. If you yeah, look the at big, like the BMX, big BMX bandits, bandits hair. Right. She had this big curly hair. Cool. Yeah, she's a fucking badass. Have you ever seen BMX Bandits? No. It's a real Ben, ben. movie. Yeah, you would love BMX Bandits. sick. That's, one, that's a movie that would run on British TV all the time. Isn't I, that what's his name? That's sort of like really good... Orson Welles? Uh, that like Australian Brian Trenchard Smith. Yeah, yeah, he is one of those guys. He's one right. of those. He's just one of these guys. pros yeah. who like is like, look, the the promise of a Brian Trenchard Smith movie is it's going to be a little better than it should be. Um, I just make genre films, but I try to make it a little bit better than it should be. So, um, you've got uh, Campion. She's making these little movies. Sure. She works on something called After Hours, another short that she made about workplace sexual harassment. Okay. Which she speaks poorly of. She didn't like making it. It was made for like the government again and, mm-hmm. and whatever. I don't know. She was whatever. She does not think fondly of that movie. She also worked on an episode of Dancing Days, a miniseries about two sisters who leave the family pig farm to pursue dancing careers in the big city. That sounds cool. David, I'm letting you sort of uh, parse the, the dossier yeah, 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 yeah. And, and lead us into this because she's one of your uh, favorites. This is kind of a, a little bit of a David's Choice series. Um, so I, I, I'm asking for your clarification here. I couldn't tell if it was just poorly written sentences, not in our dossier, but in other stuff I was looking at. Did Peel winning the Palm d'Or happen the same year that Two Friends was in competition? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was all three of the shorts that are in the Criterion Collection, yeah. the three that I watched, all screened at Con the same in year 86. as Two Friends. Like, she had four different things at Con, Correct. and she won, right, the short award. Okay, so that's, like, her huge fucking year where Correct. Con just sort of says, like, you're, Two Friends is in Uncertain Regard, right? Uh, probably. Um, let me look at 1986 Con Film Festival. Um, let's, let's find out of the 1986, But it sort of oh, immediately man. legitimizes. A notorious Palm winner. Do you know who won the Palm? What year? 86. 
notorious. I mean, not really. It's it's just like it's not a bad movie, but it's insane that it won against some of these movies. Is it's, it like it's it's like a big studio film? It's sort of. It's The Mission by Roland Joffe, which oh, is like yeah. a movie that's like very very pretty. Yeah, and has this beautiful score, but is like you know okay, and it's yeah. up against like After Hours, Down by Law. Um, what are some other, you know, Mona Lisa. I guess it's sort of, oh, The Sacrifice, the Tarkovsky. Oh, movie, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's That's of, a good year. It is. It is usually. Anyway, in certain it's regards. Sort, it sort of single-handedly makes Campion someone to watch, right? Uh, yeah. Is that fair to say? You have three short films in a TV movie that are all legitimized by the most prestigious film festival in the planet two of the shorts are in uncertain regard okay. with two friends okay they're Passionless screening Roman together and a girl's own story no they're all separate okay i mean who know i don't know i don't know if they all maybe they all screen together yeah right? that would make sense yeah and then peel is in the short film competition and wins that's weird yeah well, well you know what actually is weird making me think because you're saying competition and it's sounding kind of like the olympics do judges <laughs> after the movie hold up cars with numbers on it uh yeah, they hold up. No, they don't. No, they go and they. I believe how it works at like ben, great or whatever. question. Great question. They is they that, sit in a little like box like Statler uh-huh. Walder from the Muppet Show, and the second the screen Boom! ends, the lights come up and they hold up the. <laughs> if they go like this, thumbs down, the crowd is like, Rah! and then, and then like, the trash the theater and the stage opens up and they drop yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the filmmaker down. There there was a uh, an episode of the Muppet Show where Statler Walder did that. It was really funny where they just start rating sketches like they're Olympic judges. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. that. I mean, that's oh, I, holding up numbers is actually just always funny. I think. <laughs> Hilarious. It's just funny. Hilarious. Um, can you tell me who the jury president was in 1986? Ooh, I'm going to say that it was, of course, Paul Hogan. <laughs> it he was, was doing everything in 86, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. It was the big dog, Sidney Pollock. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Some other big boys. Uh, Charles Aznavour was on you know, uh-huh. from Shoot the Piano Player. We love him. Uh, Sonia also, Braga. Hosted the Muppet Show. Yeah, Sonia Braga. And okay. back in the day when they had fucking film critics on the can jury, Philip French, who was a fucking legend. Was on, Isn't that cool? Yeah. Berlin, I think, still will have one, mm-hmm. but the others have dropped having a film critic, which yeah. is too bad because it used to be like, imagine like, because you see the movies. Every, right. I think it's like, I think every day you meet Having seen probably a few movies, right? You're going to see twenty something. That's what it is. Yeah, they have. I think they and, have like daily meetings. And there's like and there's like, like this woman. What do you think? Can, I believe yeah. who's like been doing it for years. So she's there too, and she writes down everything everyone says. And it's sort of like, oh, so what did you think of to ten? And they're like, oh, I loved it. Blah blah blah. You know, blah should be considered for acting. You know, and then so it's like when you finally gather at the end of it, she'll be like, well. You all said that Tatan right. was the best thing like five days ago. So, you know, like she's there to sort of remind you. Of, but it's like an evolving conversation exactly. over the course of a week. And then I think you get contentious horse trading of like, okay, if it can't be best picture, can we at least give director, you know, right. Yeah. And you'll hear these stories about like, oh, everyone thought this was going to win the Palm d'Or, But what it came down to is the president of the jury just didn't like it. Everyone else loved it. And the president of the jury didn't like it. There's some things like that. Or or opposite way around. You know, there's one thing they were pushing for really hard that no one else liked or whatever. Um, uh, Kunt should start letting a one podcaster into the jury. I think they should do that. Dave Portnoy. I think they should, think be, they should do that. I'd love I think to it's hear what he thinks of whatever's that. playing at the... No. <laughs> All right. Okay. One bite reviews. I'm sorry, what? Okay, so... Um, two friends. Two friends. Uh, in 1986, ABC, not the American Broadcasting Company, but the Australian, the Australian okay. TV. Okay. They've got a crew. Are they available. allowed to do that? You, you think they should sue? I think yeah. so. Now. 
they should they should swoop in. Yeah. Uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation uh, had a crew available. They had an opening in their production plan. They okay. had a screenplay by Helen Garner, who's a famous novelist. And they're basically like, there's a window. Do you want to do that? Yeah, it's also do a TV movie. Weird you know. thing. I mean, time for TV movies, I think, especially in other countries where it's like, we need things to fill up broadcasting hours. I mean, that's how so many great British directors get their start in TV because especially back in the day, and yeah. I think it's the same in Australia and New Zealand, like there was government money, mm-hmm. you know, come and make an hour long drama, come make right. a television movie, something like that about issues, right? Yeah. You know, about like life. And, you know, that's like, uh, it'll be good for the, the culture, right? right? To yeah. not just have trash on television. It'll, it'll develop. Not just American trash. Fucking American Well, that's, trash. David, that's a very good point also, is that in non-American countries, TV seasons do not last as long as yeah. they fucking do, and shows don't run for as many there's years. There's space. Where they're like, there's space. Yeah. Our hottest show is only going to run six weeks a year, you know? It's just wild. Get some fucking film school graduates and give them an issues drama or totally. just a very small slice of life story that we can make cheaply. Right. But it's just wild as all, you know, we're all Americans here. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy to think about. We've all exclusively lived in the United States right. of America. And so this notion of like my tax money went to some idiot who went to art school to make a movie like that would just never happen here. Yeah. Wouldn't you know? it be great if we could be uh, seeing people outraged about that? If that was like a problem where it's like, yeah, fucking complain about the fact that our government subsidizes the arts. Right. Yeah. Can only imagine. Instead, it's like people don't want to pay for fucking social like services. So. Right. People don't want to not die. Mm, mm. I wish the arts were the canard that they could complain I know, about. I they know. still fucking complain, though. They're always hauling like Big, big Bird in front of Congress or whatever. <laughs> I know. It's fucking Being, insane. You piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I pay for this. <laughs> anyway, um, Campion loves the script. She liked okay. the freshness of observation. The and truth. this is just like an original spec script. Helen this Garner, who is this you know novelist and writer, she'd yeah. been inspired by the experiences of her daughter and one of her friends. Okay, but it's not based on one of her own novels or anything. No, yeah. okay. no, no. Um, and uh, Campion goes and meets the girls that the that Garner's inspired by the titular, the titular two friends, and um, you know gets to work on this movie. Okay. And she has a, I feel like she has a pretty simple camera style. Apparently she fought with the director of photography. Uh, I had to be very obstinate to impose my views. My, you know, I don't want to uh-huh. cast any judgment on this DP, but he might've been like, who's this sure. young lady bossing me around, telling me how to set up a shot. She doesn't know. Um, she didn't do a lot of takes. She didn't do close-ups. This movie is really no close-ups at all. Yes. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. When you like start to realize like we're always at a distance from these girls. I, I mean, I, I not to jump ahead here, but jump this ahead. is a movie where and I think this is almost by design. I get it intellectually, but I found this movie very hard to connect to until the last like 20 or 30 minutes. I found a very alienating distancing, which I think was her whole idea. It's the idea. But it might be a little bit of a like Cut your nose to spite your face idea. Well, it's also got this, you know, kind of aggressive a, yes. storytelling style right. where it's starting at the end of their friendship and going backwards, which obviously which is interesting. But I, the, the first four or five minutes, I was like, I cannot find my way into this thing. You know, Ben, in House of Gucci, they, I think it's House of Gucci. Maybe it's Licorice Pizza. It's some movie I just saw this 
item is in a house. Oh, nice. Which it's this is David's talking about. My girlfriend has from her grandmother this like sixties. It's got like a huge marble base. Yeah, it must be in house. Like kind of overhanging, kind of like light ceiling light. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know. Well, I'll take a picture. Sound off in the comments. I agree with you. Sound off in the comments. Yeah, it has to be in Hasaguchi because you and I got a slice together. We did get a slice together and it's not in Licorice Pizza, right? It's, oh, it's in Gucci. It's I'm in stoked Gucci. to fucking see that. I feel like everyone's just hyping ben, it up who I like, respect. Slice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. have a pie. Yeah, you might want to order a whole pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, might, man. I get a whole pie. I'm gonna sit down. You know what I mean? I'm not even gonna get delivered. Sitting down. Oh, you're not. You're not going to take out. Uh-uh, you're going to sit at the dine pie. in. Uh, one pie, please. Take. I'm taking a seat. I'll be sitting over there. <laughs> Table twelve. Get, I'll get my fountains root beer. Sure. I'm going to be sitting over here. Yeah. Well, nothing goes better with licorice pizza than root beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Helen Garner, accomplished novelist. Okay. Um, she wrote a book called Monkey Grip about heroin addiction that is seen as a very important text in Australian literature. Okay. Uh, she's written some nonfiction stuff, sort of true crimey stuff mm-hmm. that is a big deal. And uh, I think she um, got into screenwriting, uh, as she put it, uh, for the money. Interesting. There's some cash in it. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean, she likes it, but, yeah. you know. It, it is It is an interesting... This wasn't her first screenplay, was it? No. And, she, yeah. you know, she eventually works with Jane Campion here. Obviously, she works with Gillian Armstrong later, who's right. another famous... Uh, Australasian mm-hmm. female uh, director. So she liked working with those people. Uh, she liked working with Campion a lot. I learned from Jane Campion to follow and trust intuition, no matter how alarmingly it swerves. I just think the conceit of this story is so novelistic. I'm surprised yeah, that she chose to not, write it as a script and not a book first. Yeah. Well, you know, she probably was asked to write a script and she's a novelist and she writes it all novelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess is the... Um, but yeah, I mean, I... Love Jane Campion. Yes. And she is so good at intimate emotion, mm-hmm. at like depicting it on screen, depicting the dynamics between people yes. in ways that don't feel obvious, but you can like understand the nuance of yeah. what's you know, happening between two people. So I hear there's like a movie she made about two friends. It's about teenage well, girl first of all, friendship. You hear it's about two friends. You're already on I'm board, interested. Obviously. You're feeling competitive. Yeah, right. But you're on board. Uh, even though this was made like the year I was born. Yeah, territorial. Um, yeah. And so, right. I And then like, and I that, and to me, like female friendship, especially between teenage, you know, that's such a, you're already like stiffening up. You're like, oh, this is going to be, you know, there's so much potential for hurt. I think we're both sensey boys who like movies about female friendship. Yeah, but you know, like, oh God, this is yeah. probably, and I was engaged by this movie, but I was not, I think I was maybe hoping for something that was really going to feel like searing. Yeah, I was struggling to stay engaged until the end. It's a lot of like, you know, awkward little moments and sort of odd dynamics with the parents and things like, you know, like that, that is well done. Yes. But I just wasn't, you know, getting worked up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Like part of the idea here is that... um and and you really I I know you're this, but you you should watch a girl's own story because All right. it feels like the better execution of this in a lot of ways. And it's it's I think the the style and the craft and it's much stronger, but the dynamics are also a little more innately interesting to me. And she's that's a movie where she goes from doing this kind of very distance, obscured, almost like voyeuristic camera placement to doing like very extreme in your face close ups. And the balance of the two helps, I think. 
versus this thing that's putting you at a remove. On purpose, this movie is sort of like a tenant without the temporal pincer movements. Sure. It's just it's, backwards. They right, don't go forwards at a certain point. At the end of the movie, you realize they were best friends, right? Uh, but it starts off with two people who seem like they couldn't have less to do with each other and are you know, an icy remove from each other. Yeah. Uh, and then slowly the intimacy comes in backwards and you start to understand uh, how much things apart. changed from over the last year. Split right. them apart. And it's only set over the course of like a year. It's not even like... Right. A, right. And you have title, inner titles telling you like... X months earlier. July, two months yeah. earlier, whatever it is. Uh, it's, it's very clearly delineated, but... Um, yeah, I don't. I I I think I, I Yeah, I don't know. I I kind of agree with you that there's. It's just I I wanted to fucking love this thing. I have some news for you. And I love Sheila Jacob, uh-huh. the famed, infamous uh, honcho of can for many years. Uh huh. Saw this movie and all her shorts. All okay. The whole package. Yeah. And p- takes Philip Adams, chairman of the Australian Film Commission. My guess is he grabs him by the lapel. Yeah. And <laughs> pulls him close. <laughs> And he says, listen up, buddy. And he says, uh, listen to me now. Yeah. You must give her lots of money so she'll be in competition here with a feature in a couple years. Like, he's basically like, this is the real deal. That's what it's not. Pony up. That's the thing. Like, to have fucking three shorts and a TV movie all play a can in the same year feels like someone putting their foot down and going, like, attention must be paid. We're uh, calling absolutely. the shot right now that this is a major artist. You know, we've covered some directors who came out of the gate. like pretty close to fully formed, right? Have just kind of like impeccable first films. Sure. But there's something fun about any time we get to go back to someone's first film that is really kind of like primordial like this. Because mm-hmm. like a Loveless or... Um, yes. Trying to think of other debuts that feel that way. I mean, I don't like this movie as much, but the uh, Praying following, with Anger. Following is a great example. Right. Where there is this weird kind of like time machine effect where it's like you're watching this movie that is a director trying to figure themselves out with the knowledge of the future, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're seeing it through the prism of like, what does exist here at the earliest stages? What have they not figured out yet? I do always get that kind of rush every time we watch like a forgotten first film by someone who goes on to be someone major later. And and if we're covering them on the show, they by default have become major to one extent or another. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think of things to say about two friends. It's got well, some ben, punk in it. Tell me about your viewing experience, huh? It's got some punk in it's it. It's got some punk in it. Yeah. So Which, one of, one of the friends is a little more punk than the other. Right. Well, well I would say kind of more maybe new wave, right? To be sure. Well, it's the sure. 80s. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. But um, that is, right away drew me in, and that she's like having this like the movie starts off with her having this rebellious moment. Yes. And to what you were saying, David. I like how understated it is that this girl is making such a poor choice and you're mm-hmm. kind of like, how is everyone in her life letting her do this? But then again, as the movie goes on, yeah. you it kind of driving it really, yeah, you really under, come to understand it. Well, in the very end of the movie, which is chronologically the beginning is like this girl saying, I'm like, I'm never going to do drugs ever in my life. I can't. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does, I'll say this, it does evoke that thing when you are a teenager and everything feels so high stakes. Yes. And things can change so radically over the course of a month. Yeah. And right. right, Like you're just like, I will be friends with this person for the rest of my life. And a month later, you're like, I'm never talking to them ever again. And also people go through weird phases and extreme life events and all that sort of shit. That's sort of foolish, but you know, 
uh, understandable way that we act as teenagers where we're like, every decision poorly? I make is really important. Poorly, yeah. You yes. know what I mean? Like yeah. where it's like, this is, you know, I'm I'm deciding on my personality here. Like, yeah. You know, like it, it's still exciting. Yes, yes. Now I'm like, I just want to take David, a nap. David, mind taking a nap. That's my thing. Uh, uh, truly, the longer this show goes on, the the thing that that still rings in my head the most is Detective Dormer saying, "Let me sleep." Let me like sleep. of all the movies we've covered, I just I I just constantly think about like him just lying. Please let me sleep. Like I, at all times, my reaction almost everything now is like, I don't want to deal with this. Just let me sleep. And you know, when I was a teenager and I saw Insomnia in theaters, I was like, He's so old. Yeah, this. Of fucking- course, he wants to sleep. Right. Then you watch something now, you realize he's 35. Right now I watch and I'm like, oh, this is 20 years ago. Pacino's still kicking. Yeah. How scary would that be, though, if that's a movie where you realize, like, he's 35 in this? Pacino's my age in this? Right. What the fuck? The fucking Homer Simpson, Tony Soprano thing. Oh, just man. Like, how old is that character? I looked it up, Ben. I looked up what Ned Flanders' dad says. Okay. Oh, man. Ned spilled inked all over, all over my poems. He's a real flat tire. I mean, a cube, man. He's putting on this, us on the train to Squaresville. <laughs> so it is to Squaresville, but he also yeah. calls him a cube. Nice. It nice. rolls. Whoopsie doodle. Flanders, Flanders low-key, one of the best characters of all time. Great character. What do you think of the later revelation that he has a giant dick? Remember when the Simpsons snuck that in like season 10-ish? We had, we had a very heated conversation about this with the Doughboys. We, we did? Yes. About his big dick? In our text Because I was trying I to watch every episode of the Simpsons. Yeah, right, right, right. In the pandemic. And then I slowed down because I got freaked out about what if I finish watching 32 sure, seasons of America the Simpsons before is, there's a vaccine? Is not unfucked, right. Right. Yeah. Um, which, look, I was getting ahead of myself. America will never again be unfucked. But... Um, uh, Weiger was arguing it's a double beat. The but you dick? already have the thing that Flanders is like surprisingly ripped, right? right? He's Which got I think the they abs, reveal right. in Streetcar. And then like the the uh, fucking whatever the episode is with the skiing. Super sexy like, Flanders. Right, yeah. right. And then the additional he has a big dick <laughs> is like, you don't need it. Already the fact that he's like secretly cut. I agree with that. I agree with that. But Weiger. I kind of like the idea of him being ashamed of having a big dick. I guess so. I, but I agree with Weiger that, like, right, you already did the work. Like, the, and stupid sexy Flanders can't be top because it's funny because Homer is acknowledging that he's, he's sexy. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be one thing if Homer was just like, ah, I can't stop thinking about Flanders. And he's yeah. like, stupid sexy Flanders. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. First 10 seasons of Flander characterization, <laughs> it's one of those things where every time they add a new wrinkle or depth, you're just like, this guy just got more interesting. The, the fucking beatnik parents. When did they kill Maud? That's later. That's like it's a 12, 12 11 or, or twelve. That was bad. Oh yeah. That that episode is horrendous, and that's sort of a point of no return. For that's the a real. For that's me. a real tough episode. That right. episode in in and of itself is bad. Yeah. Like aside from that being a bad choice of a storyline, it's bad. Didn't they kill her because the actress Correct. left or Correct. died? Correct. And then they, but they justify it as like Maggie feels Rosemary. like a way to make, mix up the status quo. And I'm like, you're never gonna carry this with appropriate weight. You're a show that doesn't care about serialization. And then the actress ended up coming back and now they've had Maude a couple of times as like a ghost. God, it's still on. Yeah. It's that weird thing of like The Simpsons premieres the year I'm born. Sure does. And I just can always track like, oh yeah, that's the exact span of my life. They've been making Simpsons episodes every single moment of my life. Yeah. And which one of us will die first? The Balenciaga thing too, I haven't watched yet. But I'm interested. I just also find it so fucking weird. What are you talking about? 
The Simpsons crossed over with Balenciaga. You know, Homer <laughs> wears a big jacket. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You didn't hear did about this. Did they do this. like a product line or they just did like an animated well, thing? I'm pretty sure that it's in an episode. It's in an episode, I think. It was like they used The Simpsons to debut their new... Correct. I'm looking here. There's a $995 Balenciaga Simpsons hoodie. Yep. Yes. And a $595 Balenciaga Simpsons shirt. So it okay. does seem like they made some products as well. And can I say something, Griff? Yeah. Worth it. There's also worth it. a keychain that costs $260. I don't think any of these items look good. Ben, have you ever been to a fashion show? Like a, like I've never know, been invited. Like proper, no, no right. one's invited me. You should go. You should do it. I would love to. It seems fun. Yeah, it does seem like but a But you know what? You want to be on the first row, I feel like. Well, I got to be. Yeah. I think that's pretty, I'm a first yeah, I think row it's guy. It's pretty hard. <laughs> So if anyone out there knows somebody, you know, I'm like, I'm so open to it. These items are insane. They look like tea public shit. They do. They literally just have like Simpson shit printed on. Right. And like this keychain looks like something you would get from the Simpson shop at Universal Studios, except like it looks like the fucking Krusty Land keychain that I have. Yeah. Except it costs $260. Yeah. It looks no different in terms of materials. And it's just uh, the it's probably pretty nice. happen to be wearing Balenciaga be. on it. Better be. And Jane Campion directed this. That's why I bring this. <laughs> yeah, Jane Campion loves um, The Simpsons. Anyway, She's probably been on The Simpsons. Everyone has. At ha- this point. Happy plus anniversary, everybody. Oh, God. Um, Doughboys are on The Simpsons. They were. They were drawn on, at least. That fucking rules, no man. That's Mitch, Mitch, Mitch's voice to character. Oh, has he? There's okay. an episode where The Simpsons go to Boston and they oh, sure. cast Mitch as Hometown Boy Makes Good. But then they drew Mitch. Correct. They drew and Mitch Nick. and Weiger non-speaking and like in an Karina episode where makes and, uh, uh, Sharpling and Worcester. Right. You know, like a right. bunch of bunch right. of podcasters. Right. Right. The Mount Podmore. Yeah. The big boys. Um, two friends. Yeah. Chris okay. Bidenko and Emma Coles. What's with the dad? Ooh, he's bad news. Yeah. Because his whole deal is like he's like so progressive that he's like flipping the conservative dad kind of trope right, right. am i am i wrong yeah, on yeah. that yeah yeah I'll, I'll admit i keep on in my head i'm running shit from a girl's own story and two friends in together because i watch them back to back right girl's own story has one of those bizarre parent dynamics i've ever seen in a way that's really fascinating so the dad in this stood out to me less because i was just coming off of the like what's going on with that fucking dad um, but yes, I feel like she's way ahead of the curve, uh, uh, commenting on people who go out of their way to project a sense of liberalism. Yeah. Right. 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 To cover up for, for their shortcomings. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, just a reminder that things that people argue about is if they're new problems or things that have been going on for time memoriam and that we live in a cyclical society that just repeats the same shit over and over again every 10 years. Um, so yeah, you've got, I mean, like just to give the vague plot i guess you've got louise who's the more straight laced one the david it's <laughs> probably true but you see i'm less straight laced than you in some ways i don't know in what in what ways yeah i don't know david doesn't want to say them kelly he's got curly laces yeah i got curly laces kelly is the the more punkish one the ben yeah yeah kind of Wait, Ben, what's the deal with you watching this movie, though? What's the subtitle? Oh, yeah, thing? you were telling us oh, yeah. what's the story. So I fucking watched. I didn't realize it was on Criterion. Mm-hmm. So instead, I like watched through some really random film company that now I'm like, hold on. Let me Milestone? See. Yes. 
So I watched. You rented it from their site or, or yes. on Vimeo? I watched it through their site, which okay. is being powered by Vimeo. You can't watch it on Vimeo. Right. Had no subtitles. Right, because their site is primarily the rentals are like, do you want to screen this for your film class? It's less meant to be like a storefront for individual movies. It's like for academic purposes, here's the license to watch this movie. Okay, so you watched it there. No subtitles. So for me, you I didn't was, understand most of what they were saying. I had no idea. Yeah. It the was accents like, are I, heavy. I had to click yeah. those subtitles on real fast. I'm sure. Yeah. You were going to have some accents, you know? Okay. And it's also like it, it, there's some there's some teen slang that's now yes. 40 years old. So it's like it, the, the subtitles were helpful. I'm sure. Yeah. I was. Oh, lost. it's also a low budget film where the sound quality isn't the best. It's a little muddy sometimes. Sure. Right. It's the, the scan is not perfect. Um, so what's going to happen is Kelly is going to basically by the end of the movie be like almost homeless. Yes. And like doing drugs. By the end of the movie, you mean the beginning of the film. Exactly. By the, sorry, by the end of their friendship. Yes. The beginning of the movie. Right. Right. Um, but right. But Louise is the one who actually has the sort of permissive parents mm-hmm. who don't really cock an eyebrow at everything, at anything. And right, which I get like this sort of the kid who kind of goes conservative to rebel against the permissiveness like makes sense to me. I knew kids like that. That also makes sense from the campaign perspective. Not that she's conservative, but the idea of like, if you have the loosey goosey artsy parents that maybe you become a cerebral, you know, academic. I don't Uh, know. Yeah. No, no, for sure. And like, you know, which is what I expected more from this movie. You know, there's the stuff with their like romances. They don't know how to talk about it with each other. Yeah. In different kinds of ways. Right. Like, and just like that's to me so fundamental to depictions of teen friendship is like it's so tough for teen friendships to handle romance sometimes, especially like really tight knit friends. Yeah, you know, one of them gets a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's yeah. like even the, like hard to navigate that dynamic where puberty sort of hits. Right, mm-hmm. it can hit people different. Like right. some people are right early. You know, like early on and are going through. Been? Um, I was kind of. I guess early, yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. it hits very late. Like, I'm hoping the next year or two. <laughs> 2022, I think, might be a big one for me. Uh, what about you, David? Huh? What about you? I feel like I was late. I was always tall. Well, right. Um, How like, young did you crack six feet? Uh, like 12. Okay. I think. And that is when you're like... I think when I was 12, I was 6'1". Jesus fucking Christ. And Damn. my doctor. I think when I was twelve, I was four nine. Like I'm not even joking. I remember it being a big deal when I cracked five. I'm now. I'm trying it to took remember. a while. I may have been fourteen. I just remember there was some age. It was either twelve or fourteen. Yeah. When I hit, I was over six feet. I was the same height as my dad. I was six one. Mm-hmm. And my doctor was like, "You might be done. You might have like a little left." To go. Wow. Yeah. And I, I had two more inches to go. Mm-hmm. I think I was. I think I may have been twelve, and I like hit. Six three when I was fourteen, and that was that. See, I was like nineteen. My doctor was like, "You might have another inch or two in you," and I was like, "Come on, yeah, let's go." I kept well, being I, like, you know what? what? I had friends like that who it sometimes like, added a few inches in like college. I know. I kept on hoping. Like, yeah, it was funny. Like the kids who were very small and like they actually yeah. just were really late. I mean, my to like grow. mother and father. But like, I feel like my voice broke when I was like 13. Like I was a little late on some of that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. What happened to me, I will say is that, uh, so I'm a size 12 foot and basically just had that right away. And David is 
You fucking yeah, clown. He's, he's clown putting his eyes, uh, his eyebrows big, up and down. Over you here. fucking clown feet. I have always had clown fucking feet. Fucking Sasquatch over here. Yeah. So uh, it's like it was like a moment where I was like really clowning real it up, Flanders. walking around. You know hey, 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 I guess stupid, hey, sexy Hey, uh, my my mother and father are both very small people. Small people. Uh, your, your mother is comically. My petite. mother is comically petite. Yeah, she's and it is like a, a a fucking porcelain doll. And then my paternal grandparents were small. I mean, my my grandfather was stocky, but not particularly tall. My grandmother was tiny. Uh, my maternal grandmother was tiny. Uh, my my maternal grandfather was like over six feet tall. And whenever we complain about the fact that we're short, my grandmother's like, I tried. I tried to put some tall DNA into sure. the pool. Sure. Well, it's there now. Yeah. So he was like six foot one, bright red hair, and none of us got. No. That. No, you did not. No. No. What if you end up having like a kid and they're it's like on the one. basketball team and are I'm like dunking head. and you're like, you know, at those games? Do you know what's the thing I'm actually You'd dreading? Be proud. Do you know what I'm actually dreading? What? I'm dreading the day that David's daughter is taller than me and how soon it's going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to be that soon. It's going to be pretty fucking soon. For people who don't know, <coughs> Forky David's wife is also over six feet. She's six one. She's going to be so Who knows? Goddamn. Maybe my daughter will be small. I hope so. There's small people I, in the I family. I need something. Smaller. Yeah. Um, how tall is she now? Like three foot four? <laughs> Nine months, the, three foot four. She's going to the doctor next week, so we'll find out. Get a, um, get a break. I, I've done, I just, I, I'm keeping track of how many inches I have on her still, because I'm just like, it's not going to last long. You should draw By the time she's Griffin sick, she's going to be dunking on me. At your apartment, just like, you know, penciling a little line. David, David, <laughs> David. If I get a full-sized, full-scale cutout of myself, no. will you put it in the door frame no. so you can... Measure the boss baby against me to see what Stop it. Crazy person. I think that'd be a fun way to track progress. Oh, yeah? You think that'd be fun? Yeah. Is there any other sequences that stick out to you and two friends? I think the last 20 minutes of this are really good, which is when you get to like the honeymoon phase, the courtship, the sort of giddiness of finding a new friend. The passing note sequence is really fun. That's really good. The the letters themselves are really fun. Yeah. Uh, And there's the sort of uh, the dance sequence when they're all like singing and dancing along with the pop song Mm -hmm. that's really fucking fun. It also is interesting because uh, we'll talk about Sweetie next week. Great movie. But Alex Ross Perry and I, a friend of the show, saw that together at Lincoln Center a couple of years ago. We did some double feature of two movies at Lincoln Center together. Sure. And we saw something and we were like, Sweetie's playing after the... Have you ever seen Sweetie? We should see Sweetie, right? That's like an important thing. Sure. And we both knew nothing about it and we're not prepared for how like goofy and stylized Sweetie is. Very much so. Sweetie is a movie that very much has the aesthetics of Babe. It does. It's got bright colors. And it, it, but the other thing and is that sweetie, sort of comedic energy. It, it and, has true first film energy of her being like, let me try this. Right. Like, let me let, like, let me try a lot of stuff. Let me put yeah. everything into in case I never get to make anything ever right, again. Right. The last 20 minutes of this have a little bit of little that bit sweetie of, energy. Obviously, this was made on, I'm sure, a very tight schedule and budget. Like, yeah. It's not. She had less room to try stuff like that. But I don't want to be a broken record here. Uh, a girl's own story has more of this energy, mm. not throughout but interspersed. It's got the distancing, but it's interspersed with sort of odder sequences. I just found that film a lot more impactful. The last 20 minutes of this, for me, are what worked. I struggled with the first uh, close to hour. It's a film that's only an hour and 18 it's like minutes. like hour, 20 minutes, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'd be curious. I'm not like in an eager rush to rewatch it right away. 
I'd be curious to rewatch it to see if it plays better with the whole thing in your head a second time. Uh, maybe. I mean, in a lot of ways that those, a lot of those backward movies, yeah, you know, worked entirely differently the second time you see them. But I do think the sort of like oblique distancing from right. the characters at the beginning is an intellectual idea I understand that makes Especially it since when I turn a little this, hard to engage. When I turned this on, I knew it wasn't backwards. Yes. But if you don't know that, I think it, the first 15 minutes are pretty alienating. It is. It's like, they're I, not I, friends. I think <laughs> even <laughs> so, just, it's yeah. alienating. Like, yeah, I was yeah. watching, I was like, who are the, who am I following here? Right, like, it's, uh, yeah, because there's a lot of adults in the first sequence as well, and you're, right. you don't really know who's who, and right, yeah. And everything shot from a remove, and the characters speak very heavy accents, and at, at, well. at the beginning, everyone's like cold and dispassionate, and so it's, I get it. Like, all of this is like, and I feel like Loveless is a similar thing where I'm like, I don't know if I enjoy watching this movie. I get it. I see what you're doing here. It's sure. interesting. Passionless. They're compelling pieces. This seems like it has connection to passionless moments, you know, not that I've seen passionless moments, but like a lot of mundane stuff. Like picking up on little images. Yeah, but passionless moments is like right. funny. It's, I, I, it's got this weird comic strip kind of like energy to it. I do have a box office game for us. Oh, okay. wow. Because uh, this movie was released in New York City oh. on April 24th, 1996. So this fully fucking counts. If it got a theatrical release. Well, we're talking 10 years later. It must have screened Okay, so then maybe less. But, sure. But, but still, April 24th, 1996. David Sims's 10th birthday. Wow. wow. I'm actually in London at that point, but I am in New York. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Moved there in 95. Stayed till 08. God, I, I had a bunch of follow-up questions that just were eradicated by this revelation. I don't even know what to say now. Uh, so I wasn't in town. I may have been in town because I usually would come in town in April. Passover. Uh, but I did live in England. But it did debut there at that time. Uh, it's not on the chart. I'm not seeing it here. <laughs> not seeing it on the okay. chart. Probably played at the quad exactly. for like two days. At the yeah. cinema village. No, yeah. probably. Come on. It was probably like Lincoln Center. It was post piano. Probably some kind of campion thing. I don't know. Something cool like that. Sure. Okay. Right? Yeah, maybe. It showed Sweetie and Angel at my table. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so we can do that box office game. But yeah, is there any other? I mean, the boys wrote a whole like history of Australian cinema in the dossier. The dossier is maniacs. So fucking, this is the thing. Like, sometimes I read the dossier and I'm like, is the show better if we just read everything they wrote <laughs> verbatim? I mean, there's certainly enough material. The thing that's interesting and that they're sort of talking about is like Australian cinema did have this early boom mm -hmm. sort of centered around the wars and the depression and stuff like, but in by the seventies, by the time Campion's coming around, it had been like decades of dark ages, like really not sure. really making a lot of homegrown cinema at all. But then eighties are this boom revival period between of, Mad Max and Dundee. And yeah. Peter, Peter Weir, Weir and George right. Miller and all yeah. these, you know, like, you know, she's a New Zealand director, but obviously she makes movies yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Um, Picnic and Hanging Rock and Mad Max are the sort of the two like movies that reboot the Australian industry because Mad Max that's the osploitation sure. right? trashy and then Picnic Weird and Hanging Rock that's like the, high -end. the classy right. artier um, stuff um, there were right. both of those directors cross over they sure do as do of course Globally. so many yep. Australian directors and performers mm -hmm. it's a real powerhouse for acting, I feel like, right? So many great actors come out of I know he's another New Zealand guy who often gets miscategorized as an Australian, but uh, someone was tweeting the other day, just a complete memory hole forgotten about this. The uh, When Al-Qaeda wanted to 
kidnap Russell Crowe to destabilize American culture pre 9 11? They, they did? This was like a People magazine front cover story. Like, once I started digging into this, I was like, oh, yeah, I fucking remember this. Also, by the way, Russell Crowe was born in New Zealand, but I think he spent most of his life in Australia. He okay. is more Australian than New Zealand okay. in a lot of ways. And certainly worked more in Australia. Absolutely. Yes. Romper Stomper. Romper Stomper. You ever seen that movie? Romper Stomper, isn't it? Pretty good. Plays like a Nazi. Romper Stomper. Like a neo Nazi. You know, like a skinhead. Bad. Stay away. No. no. Don't do it. Um, no, I didn't know about that, Griffin. I didn't know that Osama bin Laden, like, I guarantee tried to kidnap you, you knew Russell Crowe at the time. That Maybe. was part of their thing where they were like, How do we fuck with Americans? What if we kidnap their most beloved movie star, Kiwi Russell Crowe? It speaks to like how big he was in that one fucking moment where everyone was like, Well, he's gonna be Charlton Heston, right? He will remain this iconic for 40 years. So in the 70s, obviously, you do have people like Peter Weir, mm -hmm. Jillian Armstrong sure. emerging, right? But you also apparently, very popular, the Ocker comedy. What? Uh, which was the sort of like, kind of, I suppose, the sort of uh, American Pie type movie of its day. Uh, really? Celebrating male sexual exploits, vulgar, anti-intellectual, you the, know. Is this a, a subgenre or is the thing called the Ocker comedy? Ocker, A-O-C-K-E-R. It's like a subgenre. It's like a okay. sort of, a, you know, trashy, lowbrow comedy. With what, what are like the prime examples of that? Let's see. Let's see. What are some, uh, some Ocker movies? Um, like who comes out of the Ocker is this like Rick Mayall and Yahoo Serious? Like Ocker apparently um, recorded as a nickname for anyone called Oscar, the Australian comic strip Ginger Megs had a character called Oscar, and that became the sort of term you use for like a youth, you know, who's up to no good. So it's like if we started a calling... bad boy. If we called like raunchy teen uh, comedies like the Ziggy movies. Exactly. So you've got a uh, Stork, The Adventures of Thank Mary you, McKenzie. Ooh, look out for this guy. Uh, which is Barry Humphreys. Oh. You know, who eventually is Dame Edna and Bruce uh, the Shark. Bruce the Shark and, right. uh, you know, uh, Alvin Purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Look at this poster. It's got people fucking. Yeah. Speak together. So that's one kind of movie. Okay. There's also um, uh, just softcore porn. Very popular. In Very the popular. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could go is, to a theater. Well, because yeah. it's pre VHS. No, I know. I'm you just saying. Go. Jack, your hog in a fucking AMC. <laughs> That's so wild. Yeah. It's wild to think about that. That I was guess like, you just sat there and then you were like, I'm going to jerk it later thinking about that's this. That's the thing. I think people like, had a better that, you know, that's imagination. The that's, that's the thing that's insane to think about is like there was this moment where like going to a porno theater became like weirdly mainstream, but the roles were like, but don't masturbate. And people were like, I think I'm going to do it. And they're like, don't do it. <laughs> -uh -uh. Right. I mean, and then, you know, they, they drop off and the thing becomes like, oh, if you go to a porno theater, there are going to be like three guys there, like right. three in weird guys coat. in trench coats. They're definitely jerking off. Right. And Jack Nicholson friend, but... from The Departed is there, basically. Right. Back to Australian cinema for a second. I'm kind of having fun with this now. Yeah, you're having great So time. like something like Picnic and Hanging Rock obviously gets the acclaim, but it doesn't make the, the dollars and cents. The dinero. <laughs> the well, dinero. what is the money, the currency from the Australian? Australian dollar. You know, oh, they just you, call it that? And you know, their money it is it's like plastic. Yeah, it does suck. It's it's so you can go in the water with it. I'm not joking. Really? Yeah, their money's like plastic money. It's like it's not paper. Yes. It's got it's like made out of waterproof material. I mean, it's an island country. Okay, it's a big fucking island. Yeah, yeah. 
I want to be sure that I'm saying that's always something that people talk about, but now I want to make sure it's not some like British stereotype about stupid Australians who go swimming with their yeah, money. there's a fucking plastic money's in it. Yeah, polymer. It's made of polymer. Wow. I just want to say it's not just because like Australians like go in the water and they're like, oh, my money. Oh, it's gone. Like it's because it's, you know, more durable. And it doesn't like, you know, have to spend money. Like, you know, it's, it's better for the environment. I think also, you can throw idea. it on the Barbie. You can throw it on the Barbie. You know that old um, catchphrase? No, throw no, another dollar on the Barbie. I mean, we probably talked about this a little in the Mad Max episode, but Mad Max is the moment where it's like, well, they never even considered going to the government because they knew the government would never give them money to make that. Yes. Right? And it becomes such a huge hit that they co- totally reorganize the industry and they're like, okay, the government's kind of out. There needs to be like private funding of movies mm-hmm. because like this thing is commercial. This right. thing is good. The insane fact that like Mad you Max know. was almost exclusively financed by doctors. It sure like George was. Miller's medical school friends who had made a lot of money and successful practices and were just like, yeah, movie, why not? It's a safe business. Um, yeah, so uh, the box office game for April 26, 1996. Come on, let's Here do it. Here. Okay, April 26, 1996. Okay. So there's four new movies at the box office this week, which is kind of part of In the April. fun. Yeah. And one of, this is April, and this is a dire box office. Really? This is some shit. Okay. Um, number one is mm-hmm. an action film from one of the action stars of the time. One of the lesser ones. No offense to A lesser one. And I would say it's one of his lesser films. He directed it. He directed it? It's sort of one of those, you know, it happens to a lot of these guys. Like, yeah. As things are starting to get a little shaky, they're like, well, what the thing is that I should make? Is it Van Damme or Seagal? It's Van Damme. And I looked this up the other day and I forget which one he directed. So Seagal directed, what, Fire Down Below? Is that the one he directed? Yeah, right. It's the environmental one. Right. It's the masterpiece. <laughs> Yes, that is, yes. Uh, he, I'm sorry, he it's didn't cool. direct it, but he, that is the one that's environmental. Maybe Seagal never directed a movie. Seagal did. Didn't he did direct he? environmental movies? Seagal directed a movie. He, may, he definitely directed a movie. I mean, there's, I mean, like, uh, sorry. He definitely, he directed On Deadly Ground. Thank you. That's I'm sorry. I was about to pull one. the title. Yeah, there you yes. go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, anyway. What's this Van Damme movie called? It's called The Quest. Right. It's right. the one where he's right. going to Tibet, I think. Yep. Uh-huh. Not it's, a good uh, actor. And there's going to be like a big fighting tournament in Tibet. Hmm? Not a good actor. Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yeah. I would say probably the worst of the bunch of like he's 80s the worst action stars. Actor yeah. He's become them. a better actor. Right. He's actually, as he's aged, gotten yeah. a little grit to him. I mean, he's I, the villain in The Expendables 2, right? Is he the villain? 2. And right? I believe his character's name is Villain. Well, Villain. Uh, he directed another movie in 2010. How, how was it? It's called Full Love. Original title, Frenchie. But yes, I do feel like when he was at his peak with like Time Cop and Universal Soldier and all that, yes, he was, it, it was that he was acrobatic and he right. could do the splits and yeah. all that. Like, yeah, he's not like a good actor. I also feel like unlike Seagal, he has talked about the fact that he was like cocky and lazy and high in his own supply and that he kind of fucked it up for himself. Sure. And like you watch uh, uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, a film I love. Good movie. Uh, and he's got like an odd amount of gravitas in that where you're like, holy shit, like wh- where did this fucking come from? I think when his career bottomed out on like a guy like Seagal who went further up his ass, Van Damme was like, I need to like appreciate what I have and sure. work for what right. I he's want. He's not an asshole in the way that he used to be. Right. He used to maybe be an egotistical be. guy, but uh, I, I think he's gotten mellowed out. Although, so some yeah, of the I other people in the quest, Roger Moore. Wild. Older Roger Moore, James Remar. I mean, this is the on deadly ground thing where it's like, now I'm ready for my serious statement. I want to make a serious movie. Jack McGee. Love Jack. Love Jack McGee. Anytime I can get some McGee. Yeah. I want it. Yep. 
Remember, he was so good in the fight. So good. And Moneyball, he's one of the... Great in Moneyball. Yeah. One of the scouts, yeah. I watched right. that fucking first scene in Moneyball. Not the first scene, but the first like boardroom scene where all the scouts are talking mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt does the like blah, 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 blah. I watched that scene like fucking five times a day. I'm going to watch Moneyball right now. I'm going to throw it on. So good. Number two. It's a chick flick. Okay. Rom-com of the 90s. Classic Watch It on a Plane. Uh, Long title. It's not Roman Michelle's High School Reunion. No, that's a good movie. Right. That's why I'm trying to think of something not that's lower. That. Yeah, but it's a long title. Yeah, long title. Truth About Cats and Dogs? The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Yeah. Uh, made $34 million at the U.S. box office. That was a reasonable so hit. fuck you. Yeah. Sort of a Cyrano de Bergerac thing from what I remember. It's yes. Uma Thurman and Janine Garofalo, right? Right. And Janine is the sort of Cyrano. And She's is this a, the same year as Jerry Maguire? Yeah, 96. Right, because Cameron Crowe said he wrote the Renee Zellweger part for Jean Garofalo and the studio wouldn't hire her right, unless she right. lost weight. That's the famous story there. Um, but so that's sort of her totally like... totally different movie with her. Jesus. I know. Um, I mean, I love Janine, especially in this course, period. Uh, but I feel like that was sort of, not her consolation prize movie, but that was the like, fuck, I need to do one of these. I was told I was about to be like a rom-com star. Put me above the title. Right. I remember that movie being cute. I think I saw it on a plane. Yeah. Ben Chaplin, Jamie Foxx. Young Jamie Foxx is in it. Mm-hmm. Directed by Michael Lehman. The is King. he like, is he um, the Ben Chaplin's best friend? Is he the... I don't know. Okay. I couldn't tell you. I don't, know. don't remember. Eh. Um, That's the truth. Plays a character called Ed. Oh. Don't know. Number three at the box office is, it was number one the week before. Okay. It's in its fourth week of release and it spent... Three weeks at number one. This movie spent three weeks at number one. It is a legal thriller that got an Oscar nomination. The Client? No. When you f- hear that this movie was three weeks at number one, I know it's a different time in Hollywood. It's April was not like... Primal Fear? Primal Fear. Yeah, it was a big hit. Three weeks at number one. It was a big hit. It was a pretty big hit. It was a pretty big hit. And you know, there's that... Do you follow the Oscar Clips account? Yes. They, I forgot that Edward Norton's Oscar clip reveals the twist of Primal Fear. It is the last scene in the movie, basically. Is it? I was, I, I so I only watched Primal Fear for the first time in the last like two years. And I, I guess wa- it's not the scene it, where he reveals right. that, that he doesn't have the stutter. That's the first Spoilers. of the two twists. Uh, but right, it's, it's that, one, it ruins one of the two. It's but, that he did it, right? But you're right. The question is whether his motivations, I right. Guess, right? And which one's the dominant personality? But also, David, by that point, Primal Fear is getting an Oscar nomination like 10 months after it's, it's blown up the year box later. office. Basically right, it's like later. everyone's seen this. They know what the fucking thing is. Yeah. <sighs> Primal Fear. That movie's um, not very good. I, no, I, it's yeah. not. And you throw it on, yeah. which I did a few years ago, and it's like Gear, Norton, Laura Linney, yeah. John Mahoney, Alfre Woodard, Francis McDormand, Terry O'Quinn, Andre Brower. You're just like, ah! Yes, yes. Yes! Yeah. And then it's like, it's, it's kind of whatever, and it's sort of long. It's like two hours plus. The fascinating thing with it, too, is like that's the movie where like fucking Edward Norton is like a drama school student who out of nowhere gets this fucking prime role, and everyone in Hollywood is like, this is the new leading man, Academy Award nomination, anointment, you're the guy, right? Like two years later, he's on the cover of Andy Fair, and it's like, is there any question Edward Norton is the actor of his generation? When he does the score with De Niro and Brando, everyone's like, of course, the three titans. Three generations, right? And you watch that movie now, and the Edward Norton shit holds up the worst. That it does. performance does it's, not really work through modern eyes. And, and at the time, everyone was like, this is sort of embarrassing. Richard Gere got out-acted by Norton, 
here's a Richard Gear vehicle, and Norton's running circles around him, and the gear shit's kind of creaky. And you watch it now, and you're like, gear shit's kind of good. Gear's solid. The thing Gear's with solid Norton is, it. he's a good actor, but the performances he's most famous for are the really gimmicky, yeah. over-the-top, tick-filled things. And also kind of synonymous with really toxic kind of stuff. There's a part of that, but I think it's He's more than Fight asshole. Club to me is just like a thing that I was obsessed with in high school. Well, you were into Fight Club? I, I, well, I don't want to talk about it, David. Wait, what? You wanted no, to like make bombs did, out of soap? Don't make him talk about it. Don't make me talk about it. The Fight Club is one of the uh, trickiest uh, texts to That's parse. That's a good movie. Look, like, I think his boxing. performance in that holds up great. I think he's great he's so in good that. Movie. He's so I good. think the Norton performances that hold up bad are, as you said, the very ticky actor showcases. Look at how I trained myself to do this fucking thing. David's doing a jerk-off motion. I kind of agree. Allison Wilmore wrote but a really good piece really about good it actor. when Motherless Brooklyn sometimes fucking nails it. I mean, it's so funny. He's I think so good in, like, People versus Larry Flint. When he's oh, playing, like... The kind of ordinary guy. He's yeah. amazing. Also, I mean, like, Wes Anderson's been using him great. Sure. Yeah. But Wes Anderson has gone totally against his intensity. Yeah. He's so fucking good in Moonrise and in Budapest. I think he's great in Birdman. Like, that movie is a pain too. in the ass, but, but like, also, he's good in it. That felt like him making fun of himself. Right, exactly. That's why it was, it was fun but and self-aware. weirdly good at comedy. Yeah, he's, he's good at playing man. normal guys. And if you that's give him, like, a thing to play. But what's it called? He's Keeping the faith? He's the faith. Keeping the faith, he's yes. good. Get the faith in that one. Yeah, but, but the, like, big, like, can you believe Edward Norton... Did this? Those, those often. Those are just. I guess American History X is like the magnum opus performance, which is compelling. I don't like that movie. I, I hate need to it. it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's just so years. ugly and it's a nasty, dark. Movie. Number four at the box office, uh-huh. Griffin. Uh-huh. It's one of those movies that when I was a kid, I'm ten years old, right? And this movie comes out, I would see posters for it, and I'd be like, "That's a fucking grown up ass movie. Yeah. What is that? What is this? What's that about? Boring ass movie for grown ups." Um, it's a crime thriller, sort of a neo-noir, directed by a New Zealand filmmaker, in fact. Is it Ali Tamahori? It is. Uh, is it Mulholland Falls? It's Mulholland Falls. Nolte, Melanie Griffith, Chaz Palminteri, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Jennifer Connelly. Is Hidea in that, or do I just want him to be in that? Bruce Dern. We got any Hidea? No Hidea. He should be. Oh, in I it, thought though. he was in Zendaya. Let's like Zendaya. 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 Yeah, Zendaya's in it. Okay. <laughs> she plays Michi. Uh, <laughs> Malkovich apparently shows up. I still don't know what that movie's about. It kind of went nowhere. Yeah. I just know it's like men in hats and it there's just, crime. It looks so prestige for a movie that no one seems to <laughs> it's love. It's literally based on the Hat Squad, which was like a famous LAPD detective unit. I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> and Look like, at my hat. I'm going to go fuck Jennifer Connolly while wearing just, a hat. You know, I don't think it cost a fortune. The budget here is $29 million. Okay. It's just back in the day. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, MG, it's MGM. They're like, yeah, sure. Mulholland Falls. That'll sell. This is the thing. I mean, this People is. will be excited to see what whatever that is. We fucking lost. Like, you know, I feel like when we play the box office game, it kills a lot of nostalgia for like better times because you're like, shitty movies were always coming out. But there's a different type of shitty movie where you're like a studio would just make a $30 million period crime thriller with like 10 good actors in it. That's not a thing anymore. It's not like I I I yearn for the halcyon well, now, days. Well, no, what was that HBO Max movie that everyone was raving about? Well, this is the point. It went to HBO Max. What's well, the movie? Uh, no Sudden Move? Yeah. Dune. Right. No, No Sudden Move <laughs> rules, but sort of. Oh, it's good? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. But he's been very open about the fact that he's like the exact kind of movie I want to make, which is like adult sort of genre exercises with great actors is only going to get done at HBO Max. And it's only going to get done because I know how to make things for cheaper than anyone else. And he's just got this deal now where he's like, if I can deliver you like one movie a year with like 15 names in it and I can get it done and I'm my own DP and my own editor and this and that and I, I, my dolly is a wheelchair and I like get, shoot it in fucking four days. They're like, yeah, whatever, go, go do what you want. But they all get punted to HBO Max, which is a bummer. Number five of the box office new this week. It's a basketball film. Produced by Jersey Pictures, Jersey Films. The it's not company. Blue Chips, is it? Not Blue Chips. Sort of a forgotten film. I've never seen it. I know it because of its name. It's uh, named after a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, it's and named I, for a neighborhood in Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. And I saw it on the list and I was like, right, that is a movie. It's a basketball movie. And you've never seen it. Never seen it. Sounds like it'd be in your fucking wheelhouse. It's sort of like a uh, tough, uh, unconventional coach molds a bunch of young men, you know, type movie. I don't think I know what this movie is. The movie is called Sunset Park. Yeah, I don't think I knew that was Now, a you know, you've Who's got some, it? well, I'm going to tell you. You got some actors you might, you know, recognize. Well, really, just Terrence Howard okay. uh, is one of the young players on the team. I, okay. I don't know the Fred, Fredro Star or some of the other, I don't know the other guys. The coach is played by Rhea Perlman. Wait a second. Uh, who plays Phyllis Soroka, a PE coach. David, how have I never... Who, uh, you know, turns these kids around, I'm assuming. I cannot believe... I mean, you know I love Rhea Perlman. Who doesn't love Rhea Perlman? But, well, I, it's produced by DeVito. Yeah, no, he I know. He gets his wife in there. I'm just looking at the poster for this now, and to have like Rhea Perlman standing arms crossed next to two basketball players... And the top billing on the poster is the soundtrack. Yes. yes. Right? The, Above soundtrack, the title is soundtrack featuring Tupac, Tupac the Dog yeah. Pound, Queen Latifah, Ghostface right. Killer. And then it. to have Rhea Perlman underneath that, Sunset Park, and the tagline for this movie, you gotta represent. Gotta. How have I not seen How did I, I not know. produce I don't, this? I don't know that, uh, much about it except for its name. Wow. I don't think it's well regarded, <laughs> but it does exist. Wow. Carol Kane's and in it, it? Carol Kane's in it. Probably plays Rhea Perlman's best friend or sister. Or some fuck. Uh, some other movies in the top ten: The Birdcage. Okay, movie. Mike Nichols is The Birdcage. They kept James and the Giant Peach from Henry Selleck. A movie I love that I hope we cover on this podcast if Henry Selleck's new movie ever comes out. Yep. Uh, the Substitute. That's a let's the um, fuck uh, Tom Berenger movie. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Fear. Fear. Classic. Wahlberg and uh, Witherspoon? Yeah, you could be afraid of me, aren't you? Let me um, in the fucking door. Like when he does yeah, that. Yeah, when he, when he flips oh out. I'm it is good. I'm a creep. It's very good. I'm going to creep on you. Uh, and then um, an early Martin Lawrence uh, hit, A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, has the famous poster with the papyrus font. That's the one he directed, like I, right? I did it in like five minutes. Uh, yes, wrote yeah. and directed. Wow. Wow. Uh, with Martin Lawrence and Lynn Lin Whitfield, yeah, Gina and, King, and Bobby he's doing Brown, real head cocked comedy what? face on the. There's poster. a thin line between what? Yeah. Uh, um, so those are the hits okay. of April. You know, April. Yeah. Two friends. Two go friends see it coming out ten years later. New York City. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Winterborn. Like, what the hell is that? Celtic Pride. That feels like a movie you've seen. I have not seen it. Celtic Pride is a movie in which Daniel Stern and Dan Aykroyd are Boston Celtics fans. And they are terrified of whatever the rival team is beating them. So they kidnap 
the team's star players Damon so that Wayans. they start losing games. Damon Wayans. Um, and it's one of Apatow's first screenplay it's, credits, right? Yes. Yes. It's co-written by Apatow, and Bill Murray has always shit on it. because It's like, written by Apatow. Yeah. He co-wrote the story with Colin Quinn. Right. <laughs> Him and Colin Quinn were like, yeah, what would be funny? Fucking Boston guys. Right. And Bill Murray's always shit on it because he's like, you can't cast Danny Ackroyd as a Boston guy. <laughs> sure. He's like a Chicago Canadian. Yeah. He is very Chicago. He's just always like, that's the worst casting I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, he's Dan- Canadian. Danny Ackroyd. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. Um, I've never seen it. Uh, Mrs. Winterborn. You know what? I'm sorry. The reason he shits on that movie, it was like an Esquire article for like their comedy issue where they interviewed Bill Murray about the state of modern comedy. And they were like, what do you think about like the new people running comedy? Like Judd Apatow. He's like, Judd Apatow. Didn't he write that crappy movie where he cast, he like his beginning and end of Judd Apatow knowledge is like, I never got over the fact that that guy at the age of 27 wrote a script in which Dan Aykroyd played a Celtics fan. I don't know from Knocked Up. We're done. He's irredeemable in my eyes. Uh, next week, Sweetie. Sweetie. Uh, sort of her first real movie. Yeah. And, and a wild. Ben, ben you are going to be surprised by how wild this movie is. A lot of fun. Good cool. movie. It truly is. Like, the, the only thing I can equate it to in tone is the Babe movies. And it's another film about It's got the kind friendship. of manic, cartoonish, very stylized. Yeah. I mean, family dynamics more, but still, you know, about... Being chaotic in your 20s. Right. I love that. Yep. Uh, so that's next week. This has been the Podcastiano. The Podcastiano. And it's fun to say, and it's only become more fun to say. The Podcastiano. And then if we could just get a little bit of uh, piano music to play us out. Oh, sure. I mean, that's on you, Ben, or AJ, and. Oh, wait. Well, Alex. I actually forget that. Um, David, we should just mention one of the great appeals of uh, this miniseries we're about to get into. What's that? A lot of penis coming up. I think majority. That's my, I'm not, we're going to have to count. I think a majority of these movies can have I, in them. Can I make a request? Yeah. yeah. At the end of the miniseries, can you rate the peens? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll rank them. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm pretty sure Sweetie has a peen. So we'll see. Well, I think most, I think, I think most, of them saying, most of them got a peen. Most of them fucking do. We're going to get more than a peak this miniseries. That's right. Power of the Dog only has a peak. But there is a peak. There is a peak. I heard Cumberbatch was talking about giving a peak, right? It's a peak. A peak. Let's not let's not fucking throw a parade over here. It's a peak. But yeah. What are we seeing? Neck? Yeah, exactly. You're seeing the, the top third. Peak of the neck? Yeah, exactly. That's fine though. I'm excited. I feel like sometimes Kaitel's hog. I mean, I'm like, right? It's Kaitel? Kaitel's, yeah. You're yeah. see you're seeing that one. You're seeing that bad boy in two separate movies. Woo, baby. Yeah. I've sometimes seen people say He's like taking it out in like four movies, but like two campion movies. I know you were mentioning Babe before, but I'm ready to see the that hog. <laughs> oink oink. What were you gonna say, Griffin? No, I've sometimes seen people in the comments go, like, what's this thing where Griffin and David like spend too much energy talking about like male actors being hot or showing dick on screen to like show I that like they're not like, you know, toxically straight. No, I'm toxic. like they think it's performative. I'm like we talk about this a lot when the mics are toxic. These are real conversations that we have. We're like, did you see that guy's dick in the movie? (laughs) This is not for show. If anything, we tone it down on mic. We do. We do. Folks. Thank you all for listening to what will be our most pain filled mini series ever. And what, what an auspicious start. David's doing the pizza box, kissing the fingers, Italian chef for the podcast. Yeah. No, 
Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, Alex mm-hmm. Barron and AJ McKeon for our editing. Hopefully they're playing some twinkly piano music underneath this. Thank you to JJ Birch, Nick Loriano for our research, Joe Bone Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lee Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. You can still listen to extremely loud and incredibly online wherever music is found. Go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where, of course, we are testing just how good Bustin makes us feel over the series of months. The four Ghostbusters films. Very true. That's what we're doing. You can't stop us. You can't. You can't. You can't. We're on our own now, as Bobby Brown would say. And you can go to Blanky's com for some real nerdy shit. Tune in next week for Sweetie. And then, you know, I just want to say really some nerdy shit. Check in from time to time. It gets really nerdy. Yeah, but it's cool. It's I love cool. it. Love I, to I, see I, it. I like, I like that we've created a safe space where people can freak out over like the new poster just dropped. Yeah. Let's analyze this building block. The fucking rules. It's great. Yeah. And get in on it. That's it, like people are really like positive and supportive. I'll say Ghostbusters Afterlife building is fucking weird and it's Crazy. very different than what's on the posters. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Mm. It's Slimer and Slimer. Can I say this? The movie will have been out for months at this point. Oh, sure. yeah. yeah. But you haven't seen it, David and I have. Yeah. Slimer is fully not in it. No Slimer. Oh, One so of it's the better like that new blue fucker. Muncher. Yeah. yeah. It's Muncher. But you know who is in it? Fucking everyone else. They, yeah, everyone else. They showed there. restraint and not bringing Slimer back, and they brought every other fucking That thing marshmallow back. fucker. Of course, ben, right? Yeah, I knew it. Ben? Knew it. Do you know what they do? No, He's don't. Let's, let's, let's not talk about it's it. It's like a we'll bag of marshmallows. For, yeah, or there's like yeah, 80 of them, and they're tiny. Uh, they're little minions. I mean, I do like when things are a lot. Oh, you like multiple. Right, sure. A horde. You like a horde. <laughs> oh, I love a horde. <laughs> well, it you is hate a little horde. things. What? You hate little things. But when they there's a small, bunch of them it's together, a horde, it's kind of like... They never like stack up on top of each other and become a bigger thing, though. That would have been fun. That would have been good. I'm almost surprised that they didn't do that either. I don't know. Listen, we'll spend too much time talking about that dog shit movie over on Patreon. So pay $5 <laughs> if you want to hear me rag on a movie that gave me an existential crisis. <laughs> and as always... Thank you. What? I said, I'm thanking you for getting back on track. And as always, you're welcome. It's nice to see the two friends. That's what we are here. Maybe we weren't first, but we did it best. Oh, you want a moment? I want a moment. Need a moment now. I want just a. But David just said, "Hit record, Joe." I know he did. My name isn't Joe. No, it's Ben. That's but, why I need a moment to recalibrate. I didn't know what to call you. But but we don't have to include any of this. Well, Take your time. I don't know. <laughs>